Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is the Fleet Street Fox column for Monday, August the 1st, 2022. It's probably time to ban women's football again, lads. England has won a major football tournament. Wembley Stadium heard its loudest ever rendition of Three Lions on a Shirt, and demand for next season's tickets shot up by 3,000% overnight. The money and enthusiasm which will now pour into grassroots football, despite a growing economic crisis from both the government and private households, is enough to make Jeff Bezos's fingers itch. Up and down the country, in every street, there'll be youngsters with idols from the same background who will have reason to believe that nothing needs stand in their way. For the entire lives of every single person reading these words, such a victory and its ensuing possibilities and self-belief were the sole property of boys and men. As of 7.32pm on Sunday, they also belong, at last, to women and girls. Oh, at last, many will say. Finally, women have caught up, commentators will opine. Except women have been playing football since it was invented pictured in frescoes of the ancient Chinese game of Tzu Chu or kickball two and a half thousand years before the birth of Christ. They played an annual match in Midlothian in the 18th century and even the stuffy old Victorians held women's internationals and standardised the rules to make it less violent. The first female football club was set up in 1894, a time when female ankles were considered the height of indecency. Female sport was defined in literature as embroidery and social climbing, and when the East End was still living in terror of a ripper who attacked sleeping women who were down on their luck and were wrongly labelled prostitutes as a result. When the First World War meant the men's leagues were suspended, women held charity matches to keep clubs afloat and raise money for those disabled and wounded by fighting, in much the same way they went into the munitions factories to keep the troops supplied. The men were jolly grateful, of course, thanks awfully, ladies, but then two things happened which made them put a stop to it. The first was that the war ended and the men wanted their jobs back. The second was that the suffragettes were getting increasingly noisy about the right to vote. And public opinion was with the women. The munitions factory Dick Kerr & Co was one of many that had a thriving women's football side, begun in the belief that organised sport would boost morale and physical strength and thereby make the bosses more money. On Christmas Day 1917, a crowd of 10,000 came out to watch Dick Kerr ladies beat Arundel Coulthard Factory 4-0. Three years later, and they played eight internationals against France, four in each country, on nationwide tours. It generated so much interest that there were crowds of 25,000 at Deepdale, 35,000 at Old Trafford. When they went on to face St Helens at Goodison Park on Boxing Day 1920, it drew a gate of 53,000, with thousands more locked outside the stadium. Female footballers featured on newsreels worldwide. The top players became stars and the Football Association decided enough was enough. It's glossed over in many places, including the FA website, 
but in 1921 it decided that football was unsuitable for females. This doesn't explain why it had been fine for the previous two and a half millennia, during which time men had found plenty of other ways to oppress women. The FA Consultative Committee's full ruling says, Complaints have also been made as to the conditions under which some of the matches have been arranged and played, and the appropriation of receipts to other than charitable objects. The Council are further of the opinion that an excessive proportion of the receipts are absorbed in expenses and an inadequate percentage devoted to charitable objects. It wasn't just enough that football was unsuitable. Women were taking too much of the money, and they weren't being nice enough with what little was left over. Nasty, thieving, expensive women. In truth, these women from working-class homes all over the country were devoting a lot of the money raised to local causes and communities, meaning the FA was being deprived of a nice little earner, especially considering women's matches were drawing bigger crowds than men who played on the same pitches on the same day. You can't let the poor raise money for the poor. What would the rich live off then? Throw in the fact that in 1918, 8.5 million British women were given the vote. In 1919, Nancy Astor became the first female MP. And in 1920, women won the right to become lawyers and accountants. And you might think the men of the establishment were desperate to put women back in their box. They couldn't take away their vote, but they could take back their ball. And so the FA, which had also just ordered an expansion of male leagues, ordered all its affiliated members to refuse the use of their grounds for women's matches. The women kept playing, using rugby pitches, farmers' fields, smaller unaffiliated clubs, and formed their own association. But without access to the biggest stadia, they couldn't hope for the crowds or the cash. The ban wasn't lifted until 1971, by which time the Lions had won the World Cup and women had won the right to the contraceptive pill, equal pay and safe abortion. But it was not until 2008 another 37 years before the FA apologised for ordering the ban in the first place. And now, many people have forgotten it ever happened and think it belongs to the olden days where women had to fight to be paid fairly, to be safe from the consequences of rape, apply for a mortgage or leave a violent husband. Except women still aren't paid fairly in just about every walk of life, and nor are the lionesses, He'll get £50,000 each for last night's win, compared to £461,000 each for the Lions to get to the same point. Women still aren't safe from the consequences of rape, needing two doctors to sign off an abortion. They're denied medicines that have been tested on women, cars that have been crash-tested for women's shapes and sizes, phones that fit in a woman's pocket. Banks will raise eyebrows at a lone woman applying for a mortgage in case having a baby impacts her income while a lone man can do the same with no such questions asked. And as for leaving a violent husband, you should see those police WhatsApp groups. They're not all going to help with the paperwork you need to find a new home, secure a restraining order or keep your children safe. And just to show that the football establishment hasn't changed at all, throughout the Lionesses' barnstorming tournament in which they won every game, scored 22 goals and conceded only two, Many Premier League clubs refused to host matches. It meant the team played in Manchester City's 10,000-seat Academy Stadium, not the 53,000-capacity Etihad. They played in Brentford Community Stadium and the New York Stadium in Rotherham, and women footballers from other countries where their game has been more broadly supported said it was shocking to walk out to such small crowds as those places could take. 
The simple truth is that football hasn't changed, but we all have. And we can all see the game is more beautiful, less laced with drunkenness, violence, racism and greed when played by the fairer and more sporting sex. There's no willy-waving, just fairness, which is why Dick Kerr ladies and their contemporaries gave the gate money to working-class causes and not the big pockets of the bosses, which is still what the men's game does today. Would women happily fund the despots of Qatar and Saudi Arabia? Would their strength and endurance outlast the men taking a dive, thrashing around on the pitch with a spot of man cramp? Would their matches require massive and expensive police presence and armies of private security guards? Would it include, at any point, a woman wrapped in a flag with a firework up her bottom? Would it hell? Football is better in every way, for men as well as women, when we play on equal terms. And it's because women can obviously teach a men thing or two about football that some aren't as happy as they could be. Now women's football is at its peak, just as it was in 1921, it's probably time for the FA to think about banning it again. Women are, after all, very much outside the box. This is the Fleet Street Fox column for Friday the 5th of August 2022. Sorry, Rishi Sunak, but it's time to vilify the UK and its fundamental values. This week, wannabe Prime Minister Rishi Sunak declared, Britain is a beacon of freedom, tolerance and diversity. We must never let those who seek to undermine and destroy our way of life succeed. When asked what exactly that meant, His campaign team told journalists that if he becomes PM, Sunak will broaden the definition of extremism to include vilification of the UK. They said this would ensure those with an extreme hatred of our country that leads them to pose a risk to national security can be identified and diverted away from a destructive path. Righto, lads. I'm over here. Bring it. This is all part of Rishi's and his rival Liz Truss's bid to appeal to the worst instincts of a small group of mainly white, mostly male, over 60s who live predominantly in the southeast and for whom life will, as a result, probably have been pretty good. They are not people who are beacons of tolerance and diversity, but they like to think they are, so long as the people they have to tolerate are white, middle-class Ukrainian refugees who are awestruck at an open-plan kitchen and not French or brown or damp. The fact they need to appeal to 160,000 overfed hypocrites in order to seize control of a country of 67 million people, many of whom are not even properly fed, is an abysmal abandonment of the democracy which has been part of the British way of life ever since the peasants started fighting rich white men over 60 for it, which is to say, a damned long time. Call the cops, go on, I'm just warming up. Rishi's team said people who vilify the UK would be referred to the Prevent Counter-Terrorism Scheme for re-education, but this wouldn't apply to criticism of policies. The election of a head of government by 0.2% of the population is not a policy, it's an abomination, which is enough to make Oliver Cromwell's exhumed and dismembered body do 120 RPM in whatever ditch it was finally tossed. 
It is the sort of democratic disgrace which would make Vladimir Putin giggle with delight and should turn each and every one of us into someone prepared to help Guy Fawkes if he asked for a light. And it has happened six times since the Second World War, which we regularly congratulate ourselves was fought to stop the spread of tyranny. Throw in the fact that each of those leaders was only able to enter Parliament in the first place because of family wealth or patronage and needed more of the same to become PM, and you've got a system of electing leaders that would not be out of place at Runnymede in 1215. It all boils down to who has the sword. If he gains power, Rishi will find such promises are unworkable bilge. Will he back down? Will he hell? The Rwanda plan is unworkable bilge. His economic policies are defunct and all the big ideas in government can be summed up as zombie policies gnawing on each other's necks and constantly reinfecting each other with a sort of deathly stupidity which decants Covid patients into care homes, decides not to renew the PPE stockpiles and thinks giving billions to fraudulent business is less of a problem than giving a few hundred to benefit claimants. Today, Rishi boasted to a group of Tories in Tunbridge Wells, I managed to start changing the funding formulas to make sure that areas like this are getting the funding that they deserve, because we inherited a bunch of formulas from the Labour Party that shoved all the funding into deprived urban areas that they, you know, that needed to be undone. He bragged of taking money from the poor on the same day research for the TUC showed one in five children of key workers are living in poverty. Only it's two in five in the North East and one in three in London and the North West. He said it after the longest wage squeeze for 200 years, after saying he couldn't afford to give people on universal credit £20 a week extra, with three million people malnourished and another four million children at risk of stunting, sickness and poor attainment because they lack a decent diet. Actively removing taxpayer cash from the people who need it most is why the women of Kent and Essex rose up in 1381, emptied the prisons and lopped off the heads of both the King's Treasurer and the Archbishop of Canterbury. Stealing from the poor is why there's never been a sequel for King John. Gloating over your economic successes as your acolytes drool mindlessly about making work pay. When the economy has tanked, people are dying and businesses are going bust is exactly what Britons have fought against and overcome for centuries. They fought it in the Peasants' Revolt, at Peterloo, on the Jarrow March, with universal suffrage, demolition of slums, proper sanitation and the NHS. We give Amazon UK, which has a turnover of £23 billion, the freedom of tax loopholes and offshoring profits, and we tolerate it, offering 35p pay rises to staff so dictated to that their toilet breaks are timed. We vow to smash strikes that have not caused a single percentage point of inflation and accuse the unions of damaging an economy which has been kneecapped by the policies of the idiots who treat workers like cheap meat. We refuse pay rises for the public sector as though giving a nurse a £1,000 a year real terms pay cut is the best way to keep her cost of living down. And if she doesn't like it, she can always make a billion in the city by screwing over the little guys like all the best people do. And we forget that the money we give the public sector is their money as well as ours. 
that they will, as a result, pay more tax, spend more, buy better food, live longer, raise healthier children. If you want to grow an economy, you need to start by feeding its people instead of treating them like a cheap source of fertiliser when they die younger and harder and poorer than they should. In this country, Freeman is what we traditionally called anybody who wasn't rich and didn't wear a collar. Yet they are chained nevertheless, despite the best efforts of the Barons and Watt Tyler and Mary Ann Evans and Thomas Gray to a system whereby the people who make the nation, who make its goods, its character, its food, its views, are subservient to the worthless turds who float to the top and take their riches at the expense of a nation's sanity. According to the dictionary at my desk, but not apparently on Rishi's, vilify means to defame or speak evil of. And according to my journalism training, you can defame someone if you can prove what you say is true and speak evil if that's an accurate description. So let me say right now that I hold an extreme hatred within my heart for the custodians who ignored and destroyed the best of this country so that the most privileged man within its borders is able to compete for power with a woman who's been in misgovernment for a decade and both of whom promised to make it worse by delivering on drivel propagating poverty and obstructing the openness which makes us better, they are the terror threat we face. Send in the brute squad. I do not need identifying because I'm right here standing next to my thought crime. No nation capable of supporting all these things should ever be secure. Patriotism includes destroying those bits of a country which become a cancer of the state. And this government whoever its next leader may be, is a malignant shadow on the body politic. Britain is a beacon of freedom, tolerance and diversity. We must never let those who seek to undermine and destroy our way of life succeed. And they won't. <laughs>